man, everybody's looking good today. It's going to be a beautiful Memorial Day weekend, isn't it? Um, it's my privilege to receive God's tithes and our offerings. Um, we got some ushers around here, and uh, if you're given cash and would like a receipt, well, just lift up your hand. They'll give you an envelope so we can get you that tax deduction receipt. Um, if, you're, if you're watching online, why um, we got some, uh, some information will come up, our address, tel uh, telephone number and stuff. Uh, so if, if, you're, if you're giving online, why you can mail a check to Destiny Church there. Address is up there. Boy, we, it's even it's really simple. You can text to give even, 218-336-6085. Uh, uh, so so a, lot of, a lot of convenient ways to give. Boy, when, at this time, when, as we give, I always like to stand on some scripture because this is a, I mean, this is a sacred time with God. You're giving of your life here. And, um, uh, you know, um, as born-again believers, we're in the same covenant with God as Abraham uh, was. That's why he's called our, the father of our faith, Abraham. And, and uh, if you look over in, in Genesis 4, it explains this, but it, it, this was Abraham's custom. He would bring his tithe uh, to Melchizedek, who was a representative of Jesus Christ on the earth at the time that Abraham lived. And, um, and when he would do that, well, well the tithe, uh, it'd be the first 10% of everything that God had blessed him with. So for us, like, that's the first 10% of our income. And, and so as we bring that tithe to God, just like Abraham, so Abraham would bring that to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek would have communion with him. I mean, this is, oh, man, 3,500 years before Jesus uh, uh, showed up on the earth, but they'd have, they'd have communion together. And, uh, and, then, uh, and, and, and then Melchizedek would pronounce this, uh, this declaration over Abraham. He'd say, Abraham, you brought your tithe, so now you, you are the possessor of heaven and earth. God gave Abraham heaven and earth. That was that covenant. Well, that same covenant's available to you and me. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Because, you know, uh, I, I know, you know, we... We like to have a high income, but however much money you make, why it kind of pales in comparison to what God works with. And man, the possessor of heaven and earth—that's what's available through this tithe. So, um, so if you got your tithe here and you're giving that today, why we're gonna we're gonna agree together on that declaration and stand on that. Also, if you're bringing an offering, whatever's above the tithe, why I, I'm gonna agree with Jesus and uh, and with you and expect at least a hundred times as much back on that offering. So uh, if, you, if you take your tithes and offerings in hand, why, we'll agree together. Well, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to give. Thank you, God, for this tithing covenant that you set up. And man, so your sons and daughters today, here in the building, uh, watching online, as we bring our tithes to you, we, we receive your body and your blood, Jesus, and we also receive what you've given us, heaven and earth. Man, thank you. Thank you. And for those that's given an offering, we agree together for at least a hundred times as much back, according to your word. We do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I sure you can serve the people here. We've got a few announcements. What's well, an exciting month in June. Uh, first one is Brandon Rice will be our speaker Next Sunday, June 5th, he's going to be speaking at our Bible camp. We've had a, oh boy, it's a long-time relationship with Brandon Rice. He's out, of, he's out of Bethel in Redding, California. 
And so excited to have him there here next week. If you've not been in a service with Brandon, you're going to love that time. He loves to laugh, and, uh, and he loves the presence of God. So that's, so, so that's next Sunday. Youth camp is June 5th through 8th um, for teenagers. And there's registration forms on the table in the foyer. You can, you can take care of that um, as you go today if you want. Um, uh, talk to Neil Hitston if you have any questions, or, or Linda Wellman. And then we, also we got a kids camp coming up June 27th through 29th. Those registration forms are on the table in the foyer too, and you can get details on that from uh, Ryan Carey or Linda Wellman also. And then last, uh, uh, you know, uh, just like every Sunday, I'm in the back by that table where the registration forms are. You know, if we haven't gotten your phone number um, uh, or your email so we can uh, inform you of events going on and like that, man, we'd love to get that. And if you're here, you're part of our church family. If you're online, you're part of our church family. So we want to keep you informed about what's going on. If you've got any questions about the church, why, why I'll, I'll get answers for you. And uh, if you've got any ideas of what we can do to make things better, we appreciate that too. So, um, so okay, that's our, that's our offering there um, and announcements. Also, I, I've been asked to pray for our nation. You know, it's Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, and so, um, you know, when I pray... Um, well, first off, let me say something about prayer. When we pray, we don't inform God of anything. He already knows everything that's going on. The purpose of prayer is God's looking for people that will get in agreement with him about what's in his word. If we get in agreement with him, why well, then that, that uh, opens a door for him to move and fulfill what he's promised in his word. So I, I always like when we have this corporate prayer, I always want to have a prayer of agreement. So let me just talk one minute or so to tell you what we're agreeing on. Uh, you know, first of all, like I said, it's Memorial Day. We're, we are honoring over one million American military people that sacrificed their life for our nation. You know, human life is a sacred thing. So Memorial Day becomes a sacred uh, national holiday. These people loved our nation so much that they were willing to sacrifice their life. And one thing, you know, and with that in mind, why... Like I mentioned this morning, we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We don't have any right to speak death over things. We only have the right and responsibility to speak life. So, I mean, we're not people that wring our hands and cry about everything what's, what's wrong. In fact, like, like whipped dogs. We're not whipped dogs. We're, we're victors. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And, we, and, and our words have power when we agree with God. So it's very important what we speak and what we speak about our nation. And, uh, and boy, let, you know, let me give you something to stand on because I know there's all kinds of voices that will tell you everything about what's wrong with our country here. But, but you know, the, the, the very first act of our first president in the United States, George Washington, we didn't have a capital in Washington, D.C. at that time when he was inaugurated. That was in New York City. And so... On the stage that he was inaugurated on, and all the first, uh, the Congress was there, our first Congress, as soon as, as soon as they inaugurated him president, why, they all walked down to a little chapel building in the center of New York City. Uh, it's right in the middle of where Ground Zero was, the attacks. It's the only building that survived the Ground Zero attacks. And it's right in the center. Well, the, 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 there's something right there. There's a picture right there. 
But what they did when they got to the chapel, the first act of the president and the first act of our first Congress was to pray together, and George Washington made this covenant with God. He said, God, we are your people, and you are our God. Well, that's, God doesn't, never forgets covenants. You know, we're the only nation in the world that's ever done that. We're the only nation that's ever chosen God. You wonder why things are so good in America for all these years? And you know, because of God never reneges on a covenant, I, I, I can tell you that America is not going to fall. You know, you know, we went through a civil war at one time. And we came out stronger than we were when the war began. Well, it's certainly not that bad right now. America's not going to fall. And you say, well, well, yeah, that, that, that covenant, that was made almost 250 years ago. Well, you know, a day, a thousand years is like a day to God. 250 years is a couple hours ago to him. He can still smell what New York City smelt like when George Washington and the Congress was making that covenant with him. No, I'm, this is real. I'm telling you, this is kingdom, the way the kingdom works. God stands outside of time. You know what some people will say, oh man, there's, but there's so much sin. You know, God can't, God can't work with that. Well, you know that it's not that long ago that half of Americans thought that it was a good thing for somebody to own another person. Did, did you hear me? <laughs> they thought it was a good thing for someone to own another person. Could you think of anything more wicked than that? And yet God got us through that. You think he can get us through this foolishness that we're dealing with right now? You know, it was even a shorter time ago, and this is probably closer to home here, uh, most Americans thought that if you were a woman, you should never vote. Well, another stupid thought, but... <laughs> God could work through that. You suppose he can take care of this crap we're dealing with right now? I think he can. I think, I think God's big enough. So I, so I think it's time for us to, to stand out um, uh, as being different than the voice of the world and start getting in agreement with God and speaking life over our nation and knowing that our best days are ahead of us. You know, we're living in better days right now than there have been at any time in the history of our nation. And tomorrow's going to be better. And the next season is going to be better. If somebody tells you something different, they're a liar. They're not agreeing with God. And so let's stand up together, and, and we're going to agree together with George Washington and with our first Congress that God is our God and we are his people. Would you agree with me? Man, in Jesus' name. God, in respect to our military people that have sacrificed their lives for this covenant, we stand together right now and we take our place and we agree with you. We agree with George Washington. We agree with our first Congress. Those words are still ringing in your ear. You are our God and we are your people. And so we make this declaration that, that man, we find our our, our rescue in you, God. You are our place of safety. Only in you do we trust. And because of that, we're expecting great things from this nation. We'll fulfill every purpose that you have for this nation.
And thank you, God, for the opportunity to live here and to work with you to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And Pastor C's got a great message for us today. Amen. Praise God. Well, God's good. Amen. I'm glad you're in church today. Amen. You're a good-looking bunch of people, that's for sure. Hallelujah. We're so glad that you're here with us. And like Dave said, it wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. I want you, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I titled this message, um, Environmentally Friendly. Environmentally Friendly. That's, don't tense up when I give you that title. Because uh, I know that a lot of the great words in the Bible have been kidnapped or hijacked by our culture. But this, I'm going to talk about this in a spiritual sense, environmentally friendly. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how many times in the Bible that spiritual principles and spiritual things are likened and related to plants and seeds. Have you, how many of you ever noticed that? I mean, even the kingdom of God says the kingdom of God is like this. It describes it as a mustard seed that is small in, in size, but it grows and you know into a big tree. And and uh, it talks about you know Jesus talked about the sower and the seed, how that when we preach the word, it's like a farmer who goes out and sows seed, and people are their hearts are like grounds, and the seed of God word goes in there, and 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 so all these different examples. In fact, in the Bible, we're called the garden of the Lord. Uh, we are called God's garden. And so there's all these examples in the Bible about trees and planting and farming and things like that. Well, how many know this is true, that for things to grow, they have to be in the right environment? I mean, you know, you can take a seed and it, if it's, it, could, it has all kinds of potential in it, but if it's not in the right environment, it'll just stay in that form. It'll stay in its seed form. And the minute you plant it in a moist ground, what happens is all of a sudden what's in it starts, starts germinating and starts to come forth. And so environment, environment is very important. And I don't think that people realize how important environment is. You know, I, I was reading this book recently, and um, in there they were given some statistics. And they said during the Vietnam War, the, the American government became alarmed because when they went to Vietnam and they started surveying the troops, they found out that up to 20% of the troops were addicted to heroin. Up to 20% of the troops were addicted to heroin. Uh, and they were alarmed by that because they thought, well, the troops are going to come back and it's going to be detrimental to our society. But when they came back, the troops came back, only 5% of the 20 re-addicted re, uh, re or whatever, however, you, however you say that. Only 5%. So what was the difference? It was the environment that the troops were in. Uh, the heroin was easy to come by. They were in stressful situations. They were, um, they were looking for relief. Uh, their friends were involved in heroin. And so it was easy to be involved in it. And so environment is very important. You know, I heard a guy say one time, he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you our future. So it's like this. If you look to the left, how many remember the Three Stooges? You look to the left, and there's Curly. You look to the right, it's Larry. You're Mo. You're one of the Three Stooges. And 
you're, if, if, you, if you're in that kind of environment, you're going to end up to be a nutcase. <laughs> How many know what I mean? And that's why, you know, it's so important for us to be in the right environment. For, unless we're not trying to produce anything with our lives. If we're not trying to become anything, and we're not trying to produce anything with our lives, then environment doesn't matter. But if we're trying to become fruitful, if we're trying to become uh, what God ordained for us to become, then environment becomes very important. The environment that we put ourselves in becomes very important. And so every one of us, I mean, I, I think this goes without saying that every one of us, no matter how good your life is, we want change. We want change. And change is a topic that the Bible talks about a lot. And, um, and so we want change. We want, like, you know, Dave was praying about the nation. We want the nation to change. We want our spouse to change. We want our kids to change. We want this to change. We want that. We want circumstances to change. We all want change. And there's nothing wrong with wanting change. Unless you're the person that wants to stay the same and you want the people that want you to stay, change to change and leave you alone. You might be that person. I don't know. But there's three ways that people approach change generally. And one, one is that they create goals. They say, you know, by this, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I'm going to get in shape. They set it out as a goal. And that's one way that they try to go about change. Usually people that are goal-centered um, uh, basically are frustrated. <laughs> because they usually don't reach their goals. I mean, sometimes they do, but, but really, usually they don't. The second way that people approach change is systems-orientated change. In other words, they focus on the, the systems that they put in place to change. So in other words, it's like if you had a goal to lose weight, the system, the system would be uh, the program or like the diet, like uh, Nutrisystems or whatever. That's, isn't that interesting, the word systems in the word, Nutrisystems, where you, you follow a certain program to arrive at a goal. And so the systems in place is, is another approach, and that's a more effective way to change is system change. But the, ob, the ideal way, the third way, and this is the way I emphasize and I want to get across to you, is the identity, identity-orientated change. And the focus on identity-orientated change is that we change our beliefs in how we see ourselves. We change our beliefs in how we see ourselves. See, actually what's happening in America is that there is a battle going on for our identity. Some people are trying to say that, you know, we're a racist, crazy country. And I, I mean, there are crazy things that happen, and we've had crazy times in our, in our history. But America is not a, a crazy country. America is the best, last, and greatest hope for the world that exists today in the world. And I've been to a lot of different countries, and I'll tell you that America is the greatest country I've ever been to. And, and I believe is the greatest country on earth. But identity is so important because when people see themselves a certain way, they live out what they see. Their identity, they live out what they see. You know, identity is something that is so important. I remember the first time that I heard a, a, a sermon about identity, I kind of said, oh, this is, you know, what does this have to do with anything really important? And the thing that struck me, uh, that made me go, oh, this is important, is in, in the ministry or the life of Jesus, uh, 
at the River Jordan, Jesus was baptized in water. When he came up out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily shape as a form. And God said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's identity. Who are you? You're my beloved son. You are my son and you I am well pleased. And so the very next thing that happened was that Jesus went into the wilderness. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And what the devil came to him, two out of the three temptations started with, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. And I saw this, that there's more warfare around identity than anything else. If the enemy can convince you of something that uh, is not true, something that's not true, that's why I don't like to say, and people say this a lot, it's a very common phrase, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't say that. Because I'm a sinner is identity. And I don't want to live out that experience. I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want to live out a sinful life. That's not my purpose. So I want to see myself differently. So I don't say I'm a sinner saved by grace. I say I'm a new creature. I was created in Christ Jesus. He, Ephesians 4 says that we are, the new man was created in righteousness after, after him, after God. Created in true holiness and righteousness. And so I, I, I like to say I'm a new creature. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of the king. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the, the children of God. I'm a chi- and, and then he goes on to say, and that's what we are. We're children of the Most High God. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And see, this approach to change is a principle of faith. A principle of faith is that God calls things. He raises the dead by calling things that be not as though they were. You know, it's interesting when Jesus, in John chapter 11, when he found out that Lazarus was sick, some of Lazarus' friends came to him and said, Lazarus is sick. And, and Jesus waited two more days. I mean, come on, Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? When are you going to show up? I mean, come on, we got some, need some help here. And, and so he waited two more days. And then finally he turns to his disciples and he says, I go to, he goes, Lazarus is sleeping. And I go to wake him. And J- Lazarus lived by Jerusalem and, and the Jews were trying to kill Jesus. And so the disciples go, I don't think we should go to Jerusalem. And he goes, I'm going to go wake him. And, they, and, and so the disciples go, well, if he's sleeping, he'll wake up. Isn't that weird that he would do that? He would say, oh, Lazarus is sleeping. And they go, well, if he's sleeping, he's going to wake up. And then he finally goes, no, Lazarus is dead. And he goes, I'm I'm glad for your sakes. And then he talks about how the Son of Man will be glorified. But he was so so, uh, focused on the fact that 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 Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead that he wouldn't even say Lazarus is dead until he was pushed where he had to define the situation for his disciples. But he said, no, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to go wake him up. That's how he saw. He, he wouldn't let himself go there. And we go there so easily. You know, I'm, I'm this, I'm a sinner, I'm no good, I, can't, I don't never, never amount to anything. And, and we go there so easily, and we shouldn't let ourselves go there. We should let God define who we are. The most important voice speaking over your life today is not the voice of what people say. 
It's, it's the voice that, of what God is saying. It, the definition that, of who you are is not the definition of your co-mates or your, even of your mate. The most important definition, it comes from God. Amen? You know, in John chapter 3, verse 1, we read this verse last week. He said, he said now we are the sons of God. And, it does not, and then he said, therefore the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. They didn't know who Jesus was. They're not going to know who you were. And so I can't let the world define who I am. I've got to let God define who I am. Now, go over here to Romans chapter 4. Let's look at this. So there's more warfare around identity. We have to get our, get our thinking straight on this. There's more warfare around identity than anything else. And we've got to be on the alert for it. There's more warfare around identity than anything else. You know, Rick Warren's, I don't know what you... I like Rick Warren. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church in uh, California. And he said that if there was one subject I could teach, if they, if they said you could teach Christians, if there's one subject I could teach Christians, it would be, around, it would be identity, who they are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because if you, if you see yourself as God sees you, you're going to live out a certain type of lifestyle. In Romans chapters 4, the Bible says here about Abraham. And notice how Abraham became the father of many nations. There was a process or there were steps that he took. And it says here, as it is written, and I read this verse last week, but I'm going to read it again. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, notice that that is identity. In fact, God changed his name from Abram. His real name was Abram. And God changed his name, which means exalted father. Abram means exalted father. And God changed it to Abraham, which means father of, of many nations or fathers of, father of multitudes. You know, it's so interesting. It took Abraham years to have his first son through Sarah. It took years, actually about 25 years from the time that God spoke to him. But you know, once this guy got fruitful, it was incredible. It, it created some serious momentum. I've asked people many times, how many sons did Abraham have? And people go, well, two. No, he had eight sons. Did you guys know that? After Sarah died, he married another woman called Keturah. And he had, he had six sons with Keturah after, after Sarah died. I mean, this guy, once, once he reached the tipping point, buddy, the baby started flying out of it. And really, in a sense, that's how things are. That's how spiritual things are. It's like pushing a boulder up a mountain. You know, it's, it's hard when you start out and you're trying to tra train yourself, but there's always a tipping point. There's always comes a point where you go over something and, and it's like revelation comes, momentum comes, the power of God comes, something comes, and all of a sudden it's like this is the easiest thing in the world. But when you start out, it's, 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 chal it's challenging. So God... The way God, and this is a principle of faith, like I said, the way God did it was he goes, he changed Abraham's identity. Abraham's identity of himself was that he was a barren, a barren father or a barren man. I wouldn't say father, barren man, that he had no children. That's, that's his identity. That's who he saw himself. And that was a tremendous reproach back in that day. And God comes to him and says, I have made you a father of many nations. Amen.
I have made you. In other words, your identity, I'm changing your identity. And you think about that, there was no proof of that. When God said that to him, there's no proof of this whatsoever. In fact, there's proof to the contrary. But the Bible says that if you keep reading there, and I didn't look this, I didn't put this up there. Let's go there to Romans chapter 4 if you're not there. But, but notice what it says here. Romans chapter 4. It says, um, verse 18, it says, verse 17, it says, Who gives life to the dead by calling those things that be not as though they were. You know, it's, there's some strange verses in the Bible. Really strange verses. It says, let the weak say what? What? Well, that's a lie. You know, I mean, we would say that's a lie. If you're weak, don't say you're strong. But what he's, what he's talking about, he's talking about if God tells you to say you're strong, then say you're strong. You know, a lot of times we think that, that people in the Bible, when they wrote things, that they were just experiencing this. In fact, one, one day... You know, I was reading through 2 Corinthians where Paul says, We have the same spirit of faith as is written. We believe, therefore we've spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. And I, saw, I thought, where did that come from? He's quoting something. So I looked it up and I found out that he's quoting the book of Psalms. And so in other words, he's saying that, he's saying we speak not what we see, we speak what we believe. We speak what we believe. It's a principle of faith. We speak what we believe. And so I looked at the Psalms 23, where I used to always read Psalms 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I just used to think that David was having a wonderful day. You know, the, the, he didn't step in any sheep poop that day. You know, it was, you know the, it was a little bit cooler day. The flies weren't real bad. And I mean, he's just having a great day. The the, everything was just going his way. It's beautiful sunshine, and, and just it was just wonderful. But after I saw that principle, I started thinking to myself, I don't think he was having a great day. I think he was speaking what he believed, not what he was experiencing. I think he was having a. I think maybe he felt God was far away, and he goes, but he said, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. No, I don't want for anything." I think he was declaring what he believed, not necessarily what he experienced. And that is a principle of faith. A principle of faith is that faith has a voice. Faith has a voice. It declares things even though it's not seen. How many, how many follow what I'm saying? You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest of our confession. So what does that mean? The high priest would would um, bring before God what the people brought in sacrifice. That's what the high priest would bring. And it calls Jesus the high priest of our confession. So in other words, whether we sing it, our confession, or whether we say our confession, Jesus takes what we confess and he brings it before the Father. Amen. And so, you know, it's a strange thing that I think on God's part, because, you know, I used to always read the stories in the Bible. And like, you know, like Jesus, when he was in this and the disciples were in the storm. See, when I read when I read that story, I'm on the side of the disciples. 
you know, they're in a storm in a boat. The boat's filling full of water. And they come to Jesus and say, don't you care that we perish? They say, we're perishing. Jesus gets up and he, you would think that he would feel bad for them. Yeah, this is a mess. This is terrible. This is horrible. But instead he goes, he goes, <laughs> he yells at them. Where is your faith? So I'm going, well, I, I think it's reasonable the way they felt. I think that was a reasonable reasonable way to feel at this particular point. But he, he takes a different approach. He goes, where is your faith? He expected something from them. So what did he expect? He said before they started their journey across the lake, he said, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross. He didn't say, let us go halfway and sink. He said, let us cross over to the other side. Yeah, but the boat's full of water. Let us cross over to the other side. Yeah, but there's, there's rain coming down. Let us cross over to the... Yeah, but there's wind. Let us cross over to the other side. And he ex evidently expected them to say, well, Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, it's true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So because Jesus said it. And you have to have that kind of approach to Scripture. Even if you're at the point where you're at right now, you can't believe it. You've got to have the approach that God, what God, is, what God is saying to us is true. God's word is true. Because if you don't have that approach, you and God are on different pages. You know, you try to move something, you know, like uh, something in your life that you want changed or you want moved. Uh, you and God got to get on the same page. You know, I remember I heard a guy say one time, he said to the Lord, or the Lord said to him, you and me are incompatible. And then there's a pause. And then the Lord said, and I don't change. <laughs> See, and sometimes what we want God to do is we want God to change everything to fit what we think. And, and God doesn't change everything to fit what we think. He goes, I want you to come up to where I'm thinking. You know, in, in, in Isaiah it says, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know that's true, don't you? <laughs> oh, Because God doesn't go around going, man, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, He's not even nervous. I mean, God, how many know that's true? God's not even nervous. So he goes, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And then he says, he tells us to, to, to repent of our thoughts and of our ways, and adopt his thoughts and his ways. In other words, what do you think? Of, that's a good question. God, what do you think about this? And he'll lead us in line with his scripture, in the, in the word, and he wants us to believe it. And so what happened with Abraham, going back to Romans chapter 4, let's go back there. Romans chapter 4, it says, God starts out by saying, I have made you the father of many nations. God quickeneth, gives life to the dead, by calling those things that be not as though they were. Now listen to this. Look at verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, since he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise through unbelief, promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and becoming fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. 
Therefore, he was accounted to him as righteousness. In other words, basically, Abraham took the approach. You said it. You said it. I believe it. That settles it. Because you said it. I believe it. That settles it. And I'm going to go. He's basically saying, I'm going to go on that. And so all of us have to have this same approach. You see, you, you, you might think, well, I don't want to get into that faith stuff. You know, I don't want to get into that. You may have that approach, but you're going to have to sooner or later come around to our, my, my position. Because sooner or later, you're going to have to start approaching life by the principles of faith and not by the principles of your own understanding. You see, God does that a lot. And what happens so often to us is that we don't know who we are. We have to have God define who we are because otherwise other people will define who we are or we'll define who we are and we'll get it all messed up. I mean, when you look at the great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, I mean, most of the people that God, what, what they accomplish, I would, never, I would never see that on them. I mean, you, you take, like I said to, to you last week, David was a shepherd, but his real identity was what? King of Israel. That was his true identity. Gideon was hiding from the enemy in the wine press, but his true identity was a mighty man of valor. Right? And when the angel came to him, it's so funny, it's, it just cracks me up. The angel came to him and said, Hail, mighty man of valor. He's down there in the wine press. And the angel goes, Hail, mighty man of valor. He goes, You talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? Yeah, you're a mighty man of valor. I'll tell you one thing I'm not. I am not a mighty man of valor. You know? I mean, isn't that true? But God goes, No, you are a mighty man of valor. You just aren't in the, you're just not in the right environment. If you get in the right environment, that mighty man of valor, because it's in you, it's going to come out of you. That's why we don't know what you are because you could be in seed form. We don't know what you can do because, we don't, because you could be in seed form. But you get in the right environment. You get around the right people. You get in the right environment. What will happen is what's inside of you is going to come out of you. How many, how many can see that's why it's so environment is so very important? You see, every single one of these guys, David was the king of Israel, Gideon was a mighty man of valor, Elisha was a farmer plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, but he was a prophet of God, that's his true identity. Matthew, tax collector, Peter, fisherman, Paul, a Pharisee, persecuted the church, but all three of those men were apostles. All three, that's their true identity. And so we don't know what you are because you're in seed form. We don't know what they are because they were in seed form. If you get in the right environment, what will happen is what's inside of you will come out of you. But each one of these people, the thing that changed their lives was they all had an encounter with God. They all had an encounter with God. That's why we try in our services to bring people to an encounter with the presence of God. Because if you have an encounter with the presence of God, what will happen is what's inside of you will start to stir. Just like a, when you plant a seed in the ground, if you, I don't know if this is true or not, but I know that when corn grows, you can actually hear it out there growing. It's going, yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you ever heard it out there? It sounds like aliens hit the planet or something, you know. 
but it makes a weird noise. How many ever, come on, you guys are country people. You've heard it, right? But if you could go up to the ground that the seed had started to germinate in and you could get a read on it, the ground would be going, I don't know what's going on, but something happened inside of me. There's something moving. There's something shifting inside of me. There's something going on inside of me. And that's what happens when you encounter the presence of God, when you encounter the word of God through when you encounter the word of God through preaching or through worship, you encounter the presence of God, what happens? Or when you encounter the presence of God through fellowship, when you encounter the presence of God, what happens is what in you is in you starts to stir. And that's a good thing. You know, one thing that I thank God for was my kids, we grew up, my kids grew up in this church. And, uh, and, and we had a bunch of families. They were all together. We all had kids, and we were all on the same page. I mean, we all had the same aspirations. We all had the same desires. And so our kids had the privilege of growing up with a bunch of families that were all on the same page because environment matters. Environment matters. I want parents around my kids that call out of, out of them greatness. That, call, that, that will correct them, but call out of them greatness. I, I corrected many of the kids in the church many times. I would go, what the beep are you doing? I remember I had one girl, she goes, leave me alone. I go, I'm not leaving you alone. You're going to hell over my dead body. Right? And we, I had other parents that were like that. They just had the same aspiration. We created a community of people that had the same ideas, the same vision, the same purpose, the same desire for revival, the same desire to see the presence of God, the same desire to see our kids in an environment that would call out greatness inside of them. And sometimes your greatest asset is going to be a friend. And your greatest detriment is going to be a crazy friend. You know, it's kind of funny. My, you ever, how many of you ever seen the show, Leave it to Beaver? Do you remember Wally? Remember Wally's friend, um, Eddie Haskell? Remember Eddie Haskell? <laughs> what a jerk. I mean, he would come in and say, how many remember that? He goes, hello, Mrs. Beaver. I mean, Mrs. Weaver or whatever her name. I can't remember her name. Mrs. Cleaver. Hello, Mr. Cleaver. He was real, real nice, but then when he get in the room, he's just a jerk. Well, I had friends that when I was growing up, and my mom and dad, they had like a spiritual perception, you know. And I didn't really have the opportunity to grow up in a church uh, that, where we had a lot of community because I went to nine schools in 12 years in three different states. So my wife, we went to her anniversary, or uh, what's well, not anniversary, what is it called? Reunion, you know, reunion. Hey, it's really, hey, I want to just encourage all of you. When it comes time for your spouse's reunion, you ought to go. It's a lot of fun. You don't know nobody. And they know everybody, you know, it's like, but I don't know where I'd go because I was in different schools. In 10th grade, I was in a different school. 11th grade, I was in a different school. 12th grade, I was in a different school. So I don't know where I would go. But, but so I never had that opportunity to, to grow up in, in an environment like that. But, uh, my, but I did have friends. I make friends when I'd go someplace. 
But my parents were spiritually perceptive. And my mom would always know. I'd, I'd, bring, I'd bring Eddie Haskell home. <laughs> and I'd say, Mom, this is my, Fred, my friend Fred. I don't know, remember what his name was. But this is my na- friend Fred. Then when Fred would leave, my, wife, my, my mom would go, I don't want you hanging around that boy. <laughs> Why? Put his best whatever on. Yeah, that guy's crazy. You know what I mean? They just, and, and she knew that who you hang with will influence you. Amen. And so that's why this one guy says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And so it's so important for you to be in the right environment. Environmentally friendly. Amen. So you got to ask yourself the question, am I in an environment where I want to go in life, where I want to go in life, where I want to end up, what I want for my family, what I want for my kids. Am I in an environmentally friendly environment? Am I in a place that will call out greatness in me, that will call out faith in me, that will challenge me, not just in an honoring environment, but a, a challenging environment, one that will challenge me? Amen. You know, it says over here, and we looked at this verse last week, but turn over here real quickly. I'm coming to the end here, everybody. Are you guys still all right? Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 5 real quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. I said this last week, but let me just read on a little bit because it kind of helps you here to see this. In verse 8, it says, You were once darkness. That's your past life. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's your present state. Notice he didn't say the light is in you. He says you are... It's identity. You are now light in the Lord. You were once darkness, identity. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So he he doesn't say you're once darkness and now walk as children of the light. He says you're once darkness. Now you're light. That's your identity. So identity, last week my sermon title was Who Before Do. So who you are. Because identity change is the highest change. Because if you try to change before you change your identity, then you're, you're going against your nature. How many can see what I'm saying? Because if you see yourself a certain way, you see yourself a certain way. If you want to act differently, it won't last because you're going against your nature. You're going against who you, who you think you are. That's why when God defines you and God says, this is who you are then what happens is if you accept that identity, when you act, you are acting consistent with your nature. Notice he said, now you are light in the Lord. Act, act like light in the Lord. Act what you are. But you have to see yourself as light in the Lord. But look at as you keep reading here. He goes on here, finding out what uh, the fruits of in verse 9, he says, For the fruit of the Spirit, or actually the fruit of light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And then he says this, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So that means if you're, if you, if you're trying to become, if you want to become an amazing mother or an amazing wife, you know, I remember years ago, there was a, a group of ladies that would meet. This is many, many years ago. And they would get together, 
And there were, I don't remember how many, there's like six of them, and they'd all complain about their husband. They'd get together and say, ah, jerk. Oh, you think he's a jerk? This guy, mine, is a real jerk. You think he's a real jerk? Mine is a double jerk. So they'd get together and they would, how many know you can always find something wrong with somebody? I know that's, maybe not me, but most people, you can find something wrong. I just said that for my wife's benefit. No, there is nothing wrong. She might, I get home, she'll say, I want to point out something wrong. There's nothing wrong. You said there was something wrong with everybody. Not me, though. But many of those ladies got divorced. Why? Because they were fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness. Environmentally unfriendly. If you want to have a great marriage, this is an environmentally unfriendly environment. I'm not sitting around with a bunch of crazy people. I want to be around some people that are looking for the good in their mate. And will speak that over their mate, but also speak it to their friends. My husband, he's so sweet. What did he do? He opened the window when he woke up this morning. That's it? <laughs> I'm, looking for, I'm, I'm looking for anything here. <laughs> you, know, you understand what I'm saying? You can always find something, uh, I mean, usually find something good in everybody. But you know what's so crazy about that story? Want to hear the rest of the story? These ladies, they got divorced. A bunch of them, I, I don't know if all of them did, but a bunch of them got divorced. And here's the crazy thing is, they got remarried to some of their friends' husbands. You can't make this stuff up. When, when crazy hits the scene, there's nothing like it. It trumps every other thing when crazy hits the scene. Are you kidding me? No, that's a true story. But it all starts with fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever be exposed to anybody or anything that is unfruitful. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that if you just spend all your time around the unfruitful works of darkness, it's going to start affecting you. It's an, un, it's an environmentally unfriendly environment. I want people around me that, that are, are learners, that they, they don't just sit there, and what do you do all day? I just click, you know. I go to work, come home, play video games, or just click the, the what do they call that thing? Remote, remote. Come on, read something. You know, something that doesn't have pictures. That was a hard read. Why? It didn't have any pictures, you know. <laughs> I need pictures, you know. I need, I need illustrations, you know. But just, it, I want to be around people that are going to the same place I'm going. You know, when I first got saved, um, I had a bunch of friends that got saved with me at the same time. And I had some really good friends. And I look at, I look at that friendship as being the thing that, kept me on the on the kept me going in, at least kind of in the right direction but i also had some friends that clearly when i'd get around them even though they were christians they didn't help me we'd always talk about our past hey you remember we talked about our days of darkness you remember that and and it seems like we'd always one up each other in, in our story 
Man, I was so drunk. You, you know, and then he'd go, you think you were drunk? And after a while, I, I'd, I'd walk away, I'd go, I need a bath. That's how you feel, I need a bath. And, and what I'm doing is I'm, I'm fellowshipping around the unfruitful works of darkness. And it's having an effect upon my life. And what I need is an environment. I need to be around people that are, are, are light in the Lord and that are walking in the light. I need to be around those kind of people that speak light, speak the same thing that I'm speaking, that are going the same direction I'm going, that have the same values that I have, that want to see the same things I want to see. I want to be around those kind of people because, like I said to you last week, it's like, Coyotes. How many of you hear these coyotes at night, right before night, you know, d- dust? They're out there. Roo, roo, roo. That's what you need. You need a bunch of coyote, the coyote company. They get together and say, they start hooping it up. Man, God is great. God is glorious. God is big. God is powerful. God is good. If we can do this thing, we can overcome. We can make it happen. We can do it. Hallelujah. You, could, you got a great husband. I got a great husband. You got a great husband. I'm just trying to help somebody right now. But, <laughs> my wife. But, I, but he does a lot of things. Right? I don't want to be around somebody that finds every little fault with their husband or with their wife. And just, you know, I want to be around people that are walking in the light. How many can see what I'm saying? So... So environments are important. You know, it's interesting. It seems like certain environments, like the early church, it seems like certain environments attract God's presence. You know, and and it's not just religious environments. In fact, you know, have you ever, years ago, there uh, there was this religious group where the, they got in trouble with, the, the, the leader would tell who's going to marry who, and they were marrying these young girls off to these old men, you know, it was, just, it was a disgusting. So finally they got, they, 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 somebody squealed, and so they, they got the rest of the leader, and, and so all the women came of the, of the religious group, all the women came to support their leader. How many remember seeing that on TV? Oh, you didn't see it, okay, good. I don't want to watch the news. All right, good. But what's interesting is that all of the women that came, they were like robots. They had no personalities. It's like they had been socially, had a social lobotomy. They had no emotion. They, had, they weren't perky. They weren't exciting, excitable. They're just like dull and drab. And they were a product of their environment. They were a product of living in an oppressive environment. And that's not what we're talking about here. Religious environments can be very oppressive. And so can government environments that take away the rights of people. They can be very oppressive. And what happens is people become like zombies. They have no emotion. They have no expression. Because they don't think for themselves. They don't have, they don't have vision. They don't have hope. They don't have a, a desire for a greater future. And so we want to create an environment where people come in is what's inside of them begins to emerge. What's inside of them begins to come out. Their personality begins to come out. Their, their, um, 
their uniqueness begins to come out. So a lot of religious environments, oppressive ones, don't like unique people. Everybody's got to be the same. You got to be the same. Well, God didn't make everybody the same. God made us different. I'm not talking about sin, by the way, but I'm talking about just uniqueness. God loves it when people are spunky, perky, have emotion, and, and, and do crazy things. Within reason now, but... <laughs> But, but God likes diversity. I know the, the gov- society has stole that word diversity, but it's actually a good word. God is into that. He's into diversity. Not into sin, but he's into diversity. And so God wants us to breathe. God wants us to live. God wants us to be in an environment that brings out the very best in us. Amen? Yeah. So, are you on board with me? Yeah. We can make, we can create an environment here where we all get together and we're like radical. We're radical for the presence. We're radical to see people encounter God. We're radical about the works of Christ. We're radical about the character of Christ. We're radical in prayer. We're, some of you go, I don't know, what does radical mean? That means we're intense. You know, the early church, the early church, nobody orchestrated it. But it says they they met together for prayer, apostles' doctrine. They even would sell, if somebody had a need and they had what that person needed, they would give it or sell and give the proceeds. But the thing about it, somebody says, well, yeah, they... But the, the leadership of the church didn't orchestrate that. It was spontaneous. They created an environment where they had mutual care for each other. And what happened was the, envi- and the, the atmosphere was so intense. The environment was so intense when they'd pray, the building would shake. How many like to be in some building shaking prayer meetings? And it was so intense that when Peter would walk out, they would bring all the sick from the rounding and they would let Peter's shadow pass over them and they'd be healed. That's some seriously intense environments. And that's the kind of environment God wants us to grow up in. So let's all stand together. So are we going to accept God's definition? See, behavior that is contrary to our identity will not last. See, if you see yourself as a sinner, you're going to have difficulty doing the right thing because you're always going to be, if you're not restrained by someone or by the threat of wrath, it's going to be hard for you to do the right thing. But when you see yourself a certain way, when you see yourself a certain way, then it's just normal for you to be that way. See, normal for you to be that way. Amen. Let's pray together before we sing this song. Dear Lord, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We are who you say we are. Lord, we accept your identity over our lives. 
We are, and we reject every false definition. We reject it in Jesus' name. Your word is true. And what you say is true, Lord. Let God let you be true, every man a liar. Thank you, Lord, for your definition. Thank you, God. Lord, just pray right now, God, that you would give each of us grace to create in this place an environment that's like a fish in water, an environment where people thrive, where people breathe again, where they hear the voice of God saying, live, live. God, let us live. Let us be what you called us to be, Lord. How many agree with that? Amen. Praise God. Let's sing this song. Then I heard a voice as it opened up the heavens, reminding me of who I've always been. And I am your beloved. You have bought me with your blood. And on your hand, you've written out my name. I am your beloved, the one the Father loves. 
turn to two people and tell them, I'm the one he loves. Tell two people, I'm the one he loves. <laughs> Let's get this started. Let's follow John's example. He got something started. I'm the one Jesus loves. Tell two people. Do you tell two people or just tell one? I'm the one, I'm the one he loves. You are too, but I'm just saying I'm going to get started. I'm the one the Father loves. Well, I hope you have a great Memorial Day celebration and, and don't eat too much because you got that diet thing going, you know. <laughs> but we're going to have the prayer counselors. Please come forward at this time. So if you need prayer for anything, spiritually, mentally, physically, need prayer for anything, as soon as I dismiss, just make your way forward and, and uh, be prayed for. Amen. Praise God. God's good. Well, it's been good to be with you today, and I hope that you have a great celebration. And we do have some refreshments in the, in the back somewhere, and you can join us for God showing up on our fellowship. Amen. God bless you all. You're free to go.